From Relay FM, this is Upgrade episode 183. Today's show is brought to you by Linode, Squarespace Away, and Clean My Mac 3 from MacPaul. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, Mr. Mike Hurley. I thought I'd do that like you that time. I like it. I like it. That was your true introduction voice. Jason, our hashtag Snell Talk question this week comes from Tim. And Tim asks, do Jason's kids appreciate his internet fame? <laughs> so um, I'm always reminded that uh, of Andy Anatko ta- quoting uh, from a Mel Brooks movie. There's a scene where um, a man and a woman are waiting on a train platform and a train pulls in and a guy walks, steps off and he's mobbed by a crowd. And across the way, one of the uh, one of the people who's looking at this says, who is he? And the other one says, oh, he's world famous in Poland. Which I like because, uh, as Andy puts it, that's that's many of us, which is well known in a very small group of people, famous to small amount of people. I'm world famous for one week in a Californian city. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Walk, walking around the street in WWDC time, uh, any of us could get spotted and be like, hey, it's it's Mike Hurley. Get him <laughs> or whatever. Um, <laughs> and they get their, their uh, pitchforks and chase me down the street. Could, could be. I'm just saying. Uh, uh, so Recommit yourself to the Macintosh. Yeah. Well, I, I was thinking it's like, does... Does uh does Marco get more positive about Apple in the weeks preceding uh, WWDC so that he's not harangued when he is walking around the streets <laughs> of San Jose? Uh, I don't know. Um, so the I have a funny story here, which is um, uh, Jamie uh has a friend. It's actually her best friend's boyfriend, and he apparently in their Spanish class. You had to do a report in Spanish about a famous person. And Jamie's friend, Bastion, did a report about me. Yeah, he did. (laughs) (laughs) I said, said, Jamie, that is so embarrassing. And she's like, oh, I wasn't in that class. Thank God I was not in that class. and didn't have to hear that. But uh, I thought that was really, uh, I thought that was really hilarious that he... Uh, and I, and I think a few of her other classmates, but definitely, uh, Bastion, uh, uh, knew who I was from podcast things, I guess, which I just find hilarious. Does Bastion listen to this show? Do you think? I don't, I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. Or maybe we won't because he's, because he's never spoken to me. In fact, we were at a, we were at a, uh, college counseling conference thing and we were waiting to go in. Bastion and his parents were across the room and, and, uh, he didn't say hi. And I don't think I've ever been introduced to him by Jamie. So she's falling well, down so, on the job there. Hello, Bastion. Hello. Listen to the show. That is wonderful, <laughs> though. That is just wonderful. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. So anyway, do, do my kids appreciate my internet fame? I think they are vaguely aware of the fact that people people know who I am in this certain sphere. Uh, and they don't. I think the point is appreciate. Are they aware? Yes. They probably just find it embarrassing. I- don't think well anything a parent does is going to be exactly uh, embarrassing right so i don't i don't appreciate is not the word i would use but are they aware sure they definitely are but uh, that i think that's as far as it goes Uh, they're impressed every now and then when i drop some sort of knowledge or reference to something because of my tech industry things where i'm like oh did you know that i met that person and they're like what you met that person like Mm. yeah i did but that's about it that's as far as it goes 
If you would like to send in a question like Tim did to open the show, just tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk and we may pick it out for a future episode. Thank you, Tim, for your great question. Uh, Jason, you have uh, finally, I will use the word finally, Mm -hmm. posted uh, your HomePod review over at Six Colors. And obviously people should go and read it and uh, enjoy it um, because it is there for people's enjoyment. But I just wondered if you had any <laughs> anything that you wanted to share after having completed the review. After having written 2,600 words about the HomePod several weeks after it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Yes, I am really happy. Sometimes ha- this is just how it shakes out, right? Like. There isn't a thing to say until you've had multiple weeks of time with it, you know, more than what anybody else has said. This is actually, it's a little bit like uh, Gruber reviewing the iPhone 10, and it's happened with, to me before too, which is if you're not in that first vanguard of reviews, um, there's often like no real benefit. There's no real benefit in uh, rushing through a, uh, you know, quick turnaround first impressions review of a product that... Uh, a dozen people have already written i spent a week with it reviews of right because like what's what's the point and sometimes the timing works pretty well where like with the iPhone 10 i wrote a review and it came out the day the iPhone 10 came out and i only had a like a, a, an overnight to write it but i i felt like i was able to kind of like hit it uh enough I mean, for, to write for, for it for one right of those down. like first impressions reviews Honestly, you really only need it for like 24 to 48 hours to get most of what can be gotten right. out of a short period of time. Well, what's the point? I, so I got the HomePod the day that everybody else got the HomePod. In fact, if you're in Australia, you know, you got it a day before me, essentially. Um, what, other than that I've used a lot of Apple products and that I'm somebody who gets paid to write things, uh, beyond that, like my experiences with the HomePod are essentially no different from the experiences of everybody else who got a HomePod. So on one level, it's sort of like, you know, I've got these people who wrote the, who spent a week with it and wrote these articles in detail about it. And then what can I add to that? And the answer is probably not a lot until I spend that amount of time with it, at which point it's not new anymore. People aren't just trying to glean like a quick first impression of this brand new product. It's been out there a while. So you end up in this weird space in between where I just decided, okay, I will review it, but I'm just not going to review it yet. I'm going to just let it live in my house and I'm going to listen to it in my, in my office and I'm going to listen to it in my living room and I'm going to have that experience and I'm going to think about like how I'm experiencing the HomePod and what I like about it and what I don't and how I feel about this market. And then I will eventually write something about it. And then there was a week in there where I was trying to write a HomePod review and nothing was happening, which was super frustrating. And uh, and then uh, in terms of like my workflow, like I tried to write it at my desk and I couldn't. I tried to write it at my uh, the bar countertop in my kitchen and I couldn't. I ended up taking my iPad to Starbucks and putting in headphones and sitting there with a hot chocolate and 2,000 words poured out, like, right then. So the dam finally burst. I finally wrote the story. And I was very happy when I came home that day. I was like, what, were yes. you struggling to try and find your angle? Yeah, yeah that, well, that's exactly it. And I had some conversations with people that were really, that were really helpful um, about different aspects of this from people who used it and liked it, from people who used it and didn't like it. Um, some conversations in Slack for Relay and for the Incomparable where we were having kind of conversations about the HomePod. And that that helped kind of burst uh, the, the logjam a little bit um, because it, it was useful to start to just think of like, who's this product for? And I had a moment where I thought, 
I, I think I actually woke up in the middle of the night and I thought, <laughs> oh, you you know, uh, the, the one of the angles here is this is a great this was a great product two years ago. Um, if they had released it then, but now yeah. it's kind of it's kind of too late. It's not like too late; it can't be successful. But it's more like they had a real window there when Apple Music had come out, and Apple is a brand that is strongly associated with music. And all that was really out there was the Echo, which doesn't sound very good. And Apple had Siri, which you know it was more or less equivalent to Alexa at that point. Um, and they didn't have a product. And now two years later, we got it. I was hearing you and Dan talk about that on the uh, Six Colors Secret Subscriber podcast. And I think that part of what happened is when the Echo came out, everybody just thought it was dumb and ignored it. Yep. And it took a long time before everybody else paid attention, to which point Apple got really behind. And like maybe if they would have been either paying attention beforehand to where some of the market was going or when the Echo originally came out maybe they could have got something out quicker. I mean, I don't know what it was actually like inside when looking at this, how this product was made, but my kind of feeling was everybody rolled their eyes and laughed at the Echo, and I think that that didn't help. My theory is that there are people inside Apple who felt like, I felt like Dan Morin felt like a bunch of people felt when they tried the Echo and they're like, oh, there's something here. This is really interesting. And for whatever reason, some people in positions of authority at Apple to make product decisions didn't believe it. I, that That's my best guess. My best guess is not that Apple uh, tr- knew immediately that this was a, pro- a product category that was interesting to them, but was unable to put a product in the market for two plus years. Like, I don't, I don't believe that. I think, I think Apple, Apple would have been capable of doing that if they had wanted to. So my, I, it feels to me like that's the most likely scenario is that there were people inside Apple who also scoffed at this product category and said, no, it's dumb. Who needs that? You've got your phone. I mean, I heard it whenever I wrote about it, whenever Dan wrote about it, we would hear from people who are like, why do you need that? You've got your phone with you. It's got a, it's got Siri on it. You don't, you don't need a, a canister in your house. And, and we would say it's different if it's available just in the air where you're walking around and you, you've got your phone in your pocket and it can't hear you and you can't pull it out because your hands are covered with you know, chicken because you're making dinner and you just want to put on a timer and what do you do, right? Like there are so many scenarios like that or your kids are, are sitting at the dinner table and they can shout out the name of a song and it starts to play. Like there's so many of these use cases. And everybody seems to have come around. Again, it's not for everybody, but the world seems to have finally kind of understood there's something here. And it's... Uh, I'm disappointed if, if it is true that this is the scenario. I'm disappointed in Apple's um, failure to recognize that this was a good product category. And if they did recognize it, then I'm disappointed in their failure to execute in a timely fashion in order to get this product in the market when it would have made a much bigger impact um, because they had all the pieces. They had the assistant. They had the music expertise. They had the music service. <laughs> they, they they had it all. <laughs> so what happened? And that that's the thing, because it's not a bad product, but it's like two years ago, it would have been a great product. And now it's just one of, it's a, I think what I said was it's a face in the crowd. And, you know, I could even argue that the only real reason to buy a HomePod now is if you are an Apple Music subscriber who very specifically wants to use your voice to control the music playback. That's it. Because like, if you're an Apple Music subscriber who's okay using an app, you can just use Sonos. And it costs half the price, more or less. Mm-hmm. You can buy two of them, and it'll be in stereo, which the HomePod still doesn't do. With you know, even if you did buy two of them for twice the price, uh, and so you know, what are you left with? Or or you can control 
with the Sonos One, you can control Spotify and Amazon uh, Music, uh, Prime Music, or Music Unlimited, or whatever all their all the various Amazon services. So that that's it, it's also hard to write a review that's basically like mm. <laughs> the well, yeah, because it's not like yeah, this is good or this is bad. It's like eh, it's kind of a missed opportunity, except it does exist and it's fine. But who's it for? Is like that's a lot less interesting uh in some ways uh, a story to write but um i got to you know i got to write a little bit uh, take take a little uh, a few little asides about things like my relationship with music like the idea that you know when i grew up listening to music we listened on an am radio hmm. for most of it which is terrible sound quality and i think that says something about the amazon echo is like yeah it doesn't sound good compared to all of these other speakers but i'm not sure most people care and so that's a harder, harder sell. Convenience trumps quality for a lot of people in a lot of instances, and that's fine. Yeah, and out, out of context of like A B comparisons, the Echo sounds fine, and and that and it's super convenient. And so unless you're, um, you know, playing another speaker next to it, and then you're like, oh yeah, actually that does sound way better. But when you're just using something like an Echo, it sounds fine. And and my proof is that. I, most of the songs that I listened to as a kid, uh, like I, I was exposed to the entire Beatles catalog via an AM radio on a 50,000 watt station from San Francisco, a hundred miles away. Like that was not good audio quality. And it was probably a little terrible piece of hardware too, little transistor radio speaker or something like that. Uh, but I love those songs, right? So it, it, it people's uh, ability to listen to bad audio uh, is actually pretty tremendous. <laughs> so that makes it a harder sell too. So I, I don't know. It's um, I also came to the realization that I've been using connected music players for uh, well over a decade because um, the Slim P3 from Slim Devices was the first one I had. And that was like 2004 or something like that. So 15 years I've had like networked music players in my life. So it's not that part of it's not new. I love networked music players. I'm glad Apple has one, <laughs> but you know, it's fine. It's, it's fine. I, I feel like it's, it's not a product that most people should buy right now, but that it's got a lot of potential and it's early days. That was my sort of pep talk at the end is it's also early days for this category. And anybody who's telling you that Apple's first swing means that they're out or that Amazon's lead is insurmountable. I, it, none of that is true. It's all to play for. Anybody could win um, any, you know, you could end up with one or two or three dominant players or no dominant players there. If anybody rests on their laurels right now, they're going to um, they're going to feel the pain because it's early days yet. There's so much. None of these AI uh, voice assistants is particularly good. I would say if you if you don't grade them on a curve, <laughs> there's plenty of work to be done. Joe Steele made a really good point in the chat room, kind of about Apple's attitude. Like, for a long time, they were giving quotes, like, Phil Schiller were giving quotes and saying that, like, if these things don't have a screen, then they're good. Right. Right. That was their position for a very long time, which is really interesting considering the thing that they released doesn't have a screen in the end. Yeah. And I actually think that was another moment of realization I had in writing the story is that I really don't like the top of the HomePod. Um, one of the things I noticed is that if you put uh, the Echo up on a shelf somewhere, um, because it's got a ring around it, you can see that it's activated from below. 
Yeah. And the HomePod has to be below you or you can't see that it's been activated. I'm never that close to the device typically when I'm giving it a command. And I agree that little thing just shooting up at the ceiling doesn't illuminate brightly enough even for me to see that it's even on in the first place. Yeah. And I don't really particularly like the two kind of silk screened on touch buttons for volume either. Um, I don't, I don't like how that's built, but it's true. The, the, um, when we talk about Apple's failure of imagination regarding this product, um, that is one of the questions is when Phil Schiller was saying things like that, was he saying that in the typical kind of Steve Jobs maneuver of nobody wants to watch video on an iPod, um, which he set up to the point where they released a video iPod. So was it one of those like, no, 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 it's dumb until we do it. Or... Was that truly their philosophy, which was built around using Siri on a phone? And, you know, my I've always criticized Siri for that, that so too, way too often Siri, like something gets too complex and it just gives up and says, here, I found this for you. And that, that you know, if you're using a voice assistant, uh, I get frustrated when it finally says, no, no, you have to look at the screen and tap on it. I can't help you. Uh, this is all I can do is bring this back. And uh, it's possible that that was just their belief is that they either couldn't do anything that didn't punt to the screen or that it was just better to have that integration like that. I will also say, having used an Amazon Echo show for the last six months or whatever, that I'm not convinced that the screen is really that much help. I like the Echo Show. It hasn't evolved at all since I bought it. It's got some nice things. It'll show me my timers so I can actually see the timers. Um, It'll show me my to-do list. I can actually add things to the to-do list and then see what's on the to-do list for my like shopping list and stuff like that. It's got some good features. Shows song lyrics as it's playing music. That's nice. But um, I don't look at that product and think, oh, this changes everything. It's I, I, I just don't think it's, that's accurate. So it's a real mystery about quite what the story is with the HomePod. And I feel like either it's a failure of imagination or it is a failure somewhere in terms of Apple's um, product design skills, their product design prowess. Um, but I don't think anybody could legitimately argue that the HomePod is exactly the product Apple wanted it to be at exactly the time they wanted it to be to exist, and that it's the perfect time for it to hit the market. Because I think uh, it's, not a, it's not a bad product, but something happened, <laughs> and it, it really decreases its impact. Should we take a break? Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you in part by our friends over at Way. Away are a team of thinkers, seekers, and designers, and this is why they've made smart premium suitcases for under $300, so your luggage will never cost more than your plane ticket. What do you need most when you're traveling? I would expect most of you out there, like me, need as much battery as you can handle. And that is why when you buy an Away suitcase, you can charge all your devices while you travel. Both sizes of the carry-on feature USB ports of a battery large enough to charge your phone five times from a single charge. And they include a little handy tool in case you need to pop the battery out for any reason. And then you just have the battery with you. It's very, very simple to put in and out of the case. Go to awaytravel.com slash upgrade podcast right now. And you can browse all of their suitcases made with German polycarbonate, which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance whilst remaining lightweight. They have over 10 colors and five sizes that you can choose from. They have the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, the large, or the kids carry-on for the smaller travelers. And they cut out the middleman so you can 
can get first-class luggage at coach prices. Away suitcases have a patent-pending compression system, which is great if you're an overpacker, along with four 360-degree spinner wheels. Once you've gone to four wheels, going back to two wheels is like hell. Like, four wheels are amazing. All of Away's carry-ons are compliant with major US airlines whilst maximizing the amount that you can pack, and they have TSA combination locks built in. One of my favorite features about my Away suitcase is the removable washable laundry bag. I didn't ever think about this, but having an additional bag that you can put your laundry in whilst you're traveling is amazing. You just zip it up, you put it back in the case, put in the things that are clean, the things that you haven't worn, then when you get home, you'll know exactly what you need to wash. You just take that laundry bag, just dump it all into the hamper, and then you can take out the rest of the clean stuff and put it back away. It's super simple. I love it. It's a very nice little hack, and it's included in the Away travel suitcases. Away believe in the quality of their products, and that is why they offer a lifetime guarantee. If anything breaks, they will fix or replace it for life. And they also have that 100-day trial with no questions asked return policy and free shipping on any order within the lower 48 states of the US. Travel smarter with a suitcase that charges your phone. To find out more about Away, go to awaytravel.com slash upgrade podcast. And if you use the code upgrade podcast, that is all one word, U-P-G-R-A-D-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. You will get uh, $20 off at checkout on any of their suitcases. That's awaytravel.com slash upgradepodcast and the code upgradepodcast for $20 off. Our thanks to Away for their support of this show and Relay FM. I uh, was just in LA and I used that little uh, travel uh, laundry bag. And it just, it delights me. I know I could just throw the stuff in the corner or put it in the suitcase, but I, I love having that little hidden laundry because I'm never going to remember to pack a laundry bag, but it just, it lives right in the suitcase. It's great. So we spoke uh, a little bit uh, about the rumor of Apple headphones last yes. week, right? And it kind of talk about AirPods and a, and a rumor that had come out that Apple were going to make their own headphones. Well, there was a Mark Gurman report today, which uh, confirmed it from his end, right? From hit from what his people have told him, uh, and Mark also confirmed a few little details that we didn't have from the original report, which I believe came from KGI Securities, if I'm remembering correctly. I think so. Um, Mark Gurman says that they will be noise-canceling over-ear headphones. Uh, that was a question that I thought about after we were recorded. Like, will they go for the noise-canceling route? Because um, my theory on this would be that noise-canceling feels like one of those things where Apple can say, we found this new way to do it, and this is why it's better. Yeah, I- our advanced processor in these headphones can make these noise-canceling headphones amazing in a way that they never could be before. Exactly, right? So there'll be like something that, that the Apple headphones can do. Uh, they're hoping to launch by the end of the year, and obviously Apple are aiming at the high-end market, you know, like kind of where Bose is and stuff like that. That's kind of what they will be yeah. aiming for with their headphones, which makes sense, right? They're not going to make a $150 pair. No, it's that uh, you know you're you're going to be paying for the Apple brand for the Apple logo to be on your on your headphones. That's part of what goes on here. And then yep. having them be a little you know higher end and selling that as a you know you're paying for quality as well. Um, I think it makes sense. I'm a little baffled. This is two stories in a row where Mark Gurman has reported something for Bloomberg that we had already heard from KGI. And just from a journalistic standpoint, I am uh, very confused at why KGI is never cited in this story. I assume that he's got his own sources who confirmed this, but generally <laughs> you cite the previous reports of what you're reporting. 
but that doesn't happen here. It's very weird to me because like we literally saw this story last week from KGI as reported from like Mac rumors or something like that. But you know, KGI was the source of it. And I'm, I'm a little baffled why if you read this story on Bloomberg, you would think that this was broken entirely by them and nobody knew about it before. But that's not true. So I don't understand that. But the story makes sense. Like we said last week when we talked about it, when it came from its first report, um, it, it, I, I can see why Apple would do this. It makes perfect sense, right? Like, but once you hear it, but yeah, I do agree with you. Like, I've seen this a few times. I don't know if this is like a th- like a Bloomberg thing or or whatever. But my thinking would be that like if if he that would like you oh if if Mark worked it out or got the information himself that like he would just publish it without acknowledging it. But I I agree. I don't think that's right. If something is like widely publicized, you've at least got to make reference to it. Otherwise, it looks like you're trying to omit it. Which is weird. So yeah, um, that's something that, I mean, based upon this, this obviously isn't something that you want. We've been through that. You don't like over ear headphones, and I, I'm keen to see what they do. But I have such limited use cases for these types of headphones that I just I don't necessarily see them in my future. But it is a logical step for Apple to take with this with with the success that they've seen with the airpods it makes so much sense to make more and more expensive headphones than they currently do so uh the end of this week's show we're going to be doing a mic at the movies and we are going to be discussing uh aliens um which was is it 1989 or something for aliens um that's going to be at the very end of this week's show yeah when when is that it, it counts as an 80s movie no 1986 1986 Oh, great. Thank you. Uh, I don't know where I got 89 from. Who knows? doesn't matter. Uh, Let's move into Upstream now. Uh, I have a few good stories this week, Jason. Uh, All right. First off, Netflix plans to spend $8 billion, $8 billion on content in 2018, with a goal of bringing their catalog up to 700 available (laughs) original shows. Uh, So... I really struggled to find out how many shows Netflix currently has. Um, I couldn't find a good resource to say just how many it is, right? Because I want to know how many are they looking to bring on this year. And but, yeah, and what do they call what do they call originals? Because they, yep. Netflix originals are essentially the um, the movies that they or TV shows or movies that they funded. Um, that uh, might be original to them or they might have bought them from a foreign distributor. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of both. That number, the 700 number, or like the increase that they want to do, doesn't include movies. Like this is just shows. And I think that means... Just original series, all right. Yeah, uh, but I think that also means documentaries and comedy specials as well. Um, But like to give you a comparison, in 2016, Netflix added 126 new shows. So... The thought of like their increase in budget, it must be a couple of hundred, two fifty, something like that. They're looking to add this year, which is mm-hmm. wild. And yeah, well, keep in mind that they're doing it. Uh, they're doing it worldwide, so yep. they, they have series that they're developing in all sorts of different markets. It's not just sort of uh, English language. Even they they've got them all over the place. Yeah, um, and they specifically mentioned that um, eighteen non English language original productions uh, coming from outside of the U.S. They're also looking, and uh, that number 80 is interesting because they're also looking to add 80 original movies this year right. to their right. overall I mean, thing. So 
Keep in mind, more than one f- original film release a week on Netflix. That's what they're going for here. Um, I, I will point out uh, the uh, Netflix won an Oscar last night. They won the best direct uh, documentary feature for Icarus. Um, and that's not their first Oscar, but they won that. So they, they do. That's another interesting thing about Netflix is they actually do a bunch of interesting uh, documentary stuff. They It's not all, um, you know, Cloverfield and uh, Will Smith action movies. It's also doc, uh, lots of documentaries. But again, so that is eight times Apple's budget. So I'm gonna t- we're going to talk about a couple of things that Apple are doing today. I mean, you've been hearing us talk about Apple the past few weeks, and it seems like they're doing a bunch of really interesting stuff, but they have a significantly smaller budget than Netflix has. And I wonder what that's going to end up resulting in. Like, what, what does $8 billion do for you in a year? We're going to find it's out. It's true. It's true, but you got to start somewhere. I think Apple's Apple's oh, yeah, uh, streaming budget criticism. is it's not yeah, a criticism. They, they're, they, you got to build. You can't go from uh, you know zero to sixty or zero to eight billion over because it overnight. doesn't matter that Apple has that money to spend. It's just a matter of scale, right? Like Netflix knows how to do this now. But my point was more like not like a haha. Apple sucks. Netflix is Netflix is the winner. But it it's <laughs> like. Apple's making some really interesting moves, but Netflix has so much more budget. Like what what is what does that end up shaking out like? And talking about interesting moves, Apple have got another huge name to add to their roster. M Night Shyamalan is going to be producing a series for Apple. It is a straight to series order for a psychological thriller TV show. 10 half-hour episodes have been bought by Apple for this series. So one of the big things that me and you talk about constantly with with Apple's efforts is diversifying the genre. And this is part of that, I think. Yeah, and this is, and again, Shyamalan is uh, producing and directing the pilot, which is uh, not the same as it being like, because that's a distinction that's important to make, is that a lot of these people who are sort of like producers who've got their whole production company, they're bringing... J.J. Abrams is a good example of this. They're bringing other people's shows and making deals for other people's shows, and they may not be involved beyond the basics. They may agree in some cases to direct the pilot. We saw that with uh, the one of the previous Apple hirings where they, where they got... Um, they got uh, the director to direct all the episodes of their show after Amazon only got the commitment for the first episode. So mm-hmm. here, Shyamalan is going to direct episode one, but the writer is a guy named Tony Bescalop, who people might know. Um, he wrote some episodes of Berlin Station, which is an interesting uh, show, and 24, and uh, Hotel Babylon. He was the creator of Hotel Babylon, if people uh, know that show, which some people will recognize that. So it's he, it, it's an existing known uh, showrunner mm-hmm. who is, this is his latest project and Shyamalan is producing and will direct the pilot. Whenever I see this stuff, I'm always kind of reminded of uh, Boardwalk Empire. Like Boardwalk Empire right. for me is like one of those shows that really started this like, change in television about like some of the people that you have attached and of course it had steve buscemi in it but martin scorsese was attached right like he directed and produced i think 
and this and this happens um a lot these days you're right this is this is a trend we've talked about it on on the tv talk machine podcast i do with tim goodman from the hollywood reporter the idea there is that as a pilot director you're brought in not just to be a uh, I mean, you are a hired hand on a certain level, but often those pilot directors also get a producer credit. And what they're doing is they're setting the visual template for the show. So generally what happens in television, since they're not generally all directed by one person, although that's starting to happen now too, generally what you get is a high-powered director will come in to shoot a pilot or maybe the first couple of episodes and they set the look for the show. They talk to the producers and they're like, you know, they work together and they create a look. And then um, they can go away. Martin Scorsese is a good example, can go away and do other projects. But what happens is the next directors they bring in, they basically say, do what they we did in the pilot. Like extend that. That's the look we want. Shoot it like that. And, you know, TV directors are frequently um, not long-term collaborators. They're brought in to direct a couple of episodes a year and along with four or five other people. And so it's very helpful. How do you keep that visual consistency? This is one of the ways that, that shows have decided to like get that visual consistency and keep it and like have a look and a feel is you bring in a really good director uh, who's maybe well-known, so you're getting a PR push from them. But it can also be a not well-known director and still like a, a, a director you really like and you work with creatively. They they work with you to build the look of the show as the producer. And then you hand it off to other directors and say, do this. So that will probably happen with this show, right? Shyamalan is going to work. He's producing it. He's working with the showrunner. That pilot episode is going to have a certain look. And then presumably they're going to say for the other nine half hours, do it like this. <laughs> And that's that's kind of a model for TV. And that's it kind of makes sense because a TV series is a series, unless it's something like Black Mirror that's an anthology, you kind of want it to be consistent visually. You want it you don't want to feel like every week is a completely different show. It's the same show. And as a result, you kind of want to have a, a a directorial vision, even if it's one that's kind of originates and then they just kind of pointed at it and say do that be that's what our show looks like shoot it like that and um and then the directors generally will oblige that because in the end television is more of a writers and producers medium than a director's medium they are you know the director doesn't have final cut on a tv show generally it's the producers so um anyway that's that that is the a new model and you're quite right to point out the scorsese example that's a really great example Steven Soderbergh has done that is another good name of somebody mm-hmm. who who will define a visual look for a show and then he goes away. Amazon strikes a deal with the UFC to sell pay-per-view events. Um, it doesn't there doesn't really appear to be any benefit to Amazon customers for this. You just pay the full ticket price of a pay-per-view event. It's you don't have to be a prime subscriber to be able to do this and if you are you don't get any benefit for it. This is just another avenue so, for UFC to sell their product. So this is here's my theory about this, which is Amazon has really aggressively tried this, um, tried bundling. Like inside Amazon's video service, you can buy other video services like CBS All Access. If you want to watch Star Trek, you don't have to use the CBS All Access app. You can actually just sign up inside Prime Video and watch it there. And that's true for a whole bunch of other services that are right inside Prime Video. And I think Amazon likes that. I think Amazon is really positioning itself as a container for other video services so that you're inside the Amazon ecosystem. You're a Prime person. You've already got Prime Video. You know, come on inside and subscribe to streaming services inside Amazon 
and use our app and it's all in one place, which is really interesting, right? The idea that instead of opening a different app, you just have those shows too because now they're inside Amazon. And I think the pay-per-view thing is just another thing on the pile of every, you know, Amazon trying to put a whole bunch of stuff inside yep. their container. Yeah, I find it really strange that it, that was all it was, but I guess you're right, right? They, they just want you to, I guess, associate anything that you want to watch. You just go to Amazon and it will be there. Right, like I think that's what they're attempting to do, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, Apple hires Angelica Guerra as the head of Latin American programming. Uh, Guerra was hired away from Sony Pictures Television. Uh, she was uh, senior vice president and managing director of production for Latin America at Sony. Um, Guerra is now the sixth person to join Apple from Sony Television. So there have been a bunch of hires like across the kind of spectrum of them from there from like Sony Pictures production team. Uh, Guerra is an addition to that, and so now I expect so one other way that we'll start to see, I guess, within the next few months, is some Latin American focused programming being signed by Apple, right? Yeah. I guess that's so what remember you there was that have. there was that uh, British TV exec who got assigned uh, to do um, European. And mm-hmm. now they've got a head of Latin America. And also the, the two guys who had this uh, Apple video initiative were Sony execs. So it's not surprising that they're hiring uh, people who they used to work with. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it makes up some, but not all of the executives that they brought on board. But this just is an additional idea of the scope of Apple's ambitions here. You know, Apple is not planning to launch a little video service that's in one, you know, one or two countries. They They have global ambitions for this service. And they're starting small. Right. If one billion dollars can be counted as small, but they're in this like they're in this for the long run. People who kind of poo poo Apple's video ambitions because we haven't seen the details yet, which is very Apple. Like they're making these deals and people know about the deals, but the product has not been announced. Who knows when that will be? Um, But they're going big. This is not this is not half measures. They they intend this to be a worldwide thing with worldwide content. Quite clearly building a foundation. Right, well, like hiring key people from the industry, like they are building a foundation for the future. Um, and it is also funny to me that, like, we don't hear about this stuff in other parts of Apple's divisions, but basically right. everything that is happening for Apple's TV efforts is public, all of it. Yeah, the entertainment industry, this is how it works, right? There's the Hollywood Reporter and Variety and Deadline, and they cover and Hollywood talks, Hollywood rumors, uh, where the execs are going and what they're doing, what deals are being made. All of that stuff is just, this is how this is how this business works. And it is constantly fascinating to see how Apple will navigate it. And that's what I was saying earlier, like the parts that Apple can't control, like these announcements, they just, they don't. And that's just how it is. The part they can control, which is their announcement of their product that Apple likes to hold and control completely, um, they are doing that. That's the part that they have been able to control up to now. Like the rollout and the name and the price and the the strategy and all of that, that has not yet come out. But moving entertainment executives around and making deals, that's just... That's not that's what this industry does. So Apple just has to roll with it. It's, yeah. It is funny, though, because you create I see these entertainment journalists now who there's this sort of like 
but they still won't tell us where it's all going. <laughs> and I get it. Like, I get the frustration of that. But that so seems to be, that's where <laughs> Apple has drawn the line, which is, yes, we are buying lots of shows. And where is that going? We will tell you sometime. And uh, who knows when that will be? WWDC, the iPhone launch event in the fall, uh, later, possibly. Who knows? Who knows? All right. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends over at Squarespace. Use the offer code UPGRADE at checkout and you will get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. They let you easily create a website for your next idea. And with the ability to grab a unique domain name, take advantage of beautiful, award-winning, wonderfully customizable templates, and with access to 24-7 customer support if you need any help, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that will let you put your ideas online. And it's not just about these underpinnings. They can also just help you make any type of website that you want. Whether you want to create a website for your band or for an upcoming event, maybe a social club or community event, maybe you want to set up a portfolio for your artwork or a blog where you can write all of your best ideas. It doesn't matter what type of website you want to make, Squarespace has the tools and the flexibility to help you build it. And you don't have to worry about installing anything or patching anything or making sure that security upgrades are in place because Squarespace have all of that stuff covered for you. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial today with no credit card required just by going to squarespace.com. Then when you sign up, use the offer code UPGRADE at checkout. You'll get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for this show. Our thanks to Squarespace for their continued support of Upgrade and Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So there was a report from our friend uh, Ming-Chi Kuo, friend of the show now over at KGI Securities. It's very, very simple. It's kind of a one line as part of some other stuff. We've got a link in the show notes to 9to5Mac where uh, Quo suggests that there will be an update to the 13-inch MacBook Air in the second quarter of this year with a lower price tag than the current $999. So... I want to pontificate with you, Mr. Snell, kind of right. about the hows and whys for this product to even continue to exist. So I think first off, what do you think the price could be? And do you think that this would be anything more than just a simple price change to the MacBook Air? I mean, it, this is such a weird story. I Let's walk through it, okay? <laughs> let's walk through it. Why... Does the MacBook Air exist at all? It's because the MacBook Air fills a niche that the MacBook doesn't. Because the MacBook is more expensive than the MacBook Air. The MacBook Air is the 999 laptop. And it's still like... it's It still sells. It's a funny case where Apple... In, in Apple's ideal world, the MacBook would have appeared and everybody would have said, I don't want this stupid MacBook Air. Give me my, uh, give me my MacBook. But the MacBook's $1299 and the MacBook Air's $999. And yeah, they, the, and let's throw in there, although the MacBook has the Retina, it also has USB-C. Every time somebody asks me about buying a Mac laptop, I say, you know, you will, <laughs> it is more expensive and you will need to buy adapters. Like it's a double whammy there. And it's and it's light and beautiful and has a beautiful screen. This is all true, but it is more expensive, three hundred dollars more expensive, and you'll have to buy adapters. So they kept the MacBook Air around. My understanding is that it sells well in education, but it also sells well in general. We hear from people in Apple stores who say that the MacBook Air uh, sells really well in Apple retail, 
potentially even better than other MacBook models. Like, uh, so this is a case where Apple would like everybody to buy the more expensive, newer laptop, but they don't want to. And Apple's not willing to close the door. That's the other part of it, right? And just say, too bad. $12.99 MacBook or nothing. Um, they're not they're not willing to do that. So we're left in this weird limbo state where you've got a MacBook Air that's based on an old chipset. So even though they updated the processor, they literally updated it to the last processor that was made that works with that chipset. It seems like they, they will, they've tried very hard not to put any engineering effort into this thing. So where, where are we now? What would a new MacBook Air be? And this is the vexing thing. It's like, do they... Any work they do to make this thing newer is going to be, you know, they're building a new revision of this product. It, 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 it's not just dropping in a new processor. It's like a whole new thing. All right. Apple's going to make, in 2018, Apple's going to make a laptop without USB-C. Apple's going to make a laptop that doesn't have a retina screen. It seems not very Apple-like. And yet, at the same time, especially if they're going to have a lower price tag, like, what the heck... Uh, are they going to do? Cause they're not going to have a retina <laughs> Mac for seven ninety nine. It seems unlikely anyway, that they would do that with the, given that the MacBook is at 1299. So I am kind of caught in the middle here where there's this question of like, I can see them building that product, but also I, I, it's not something that they've ever done before to create some sort of retro product. If, if, if I well, accept the iPhone SE. Yeah, I guess so. But the iPhone SE had modern, had modern hardware in it. It's not, it, it would be like if the iPhone SE had a dock connector on it or something, right? Sure. I mean, it does have a headphone jack, but it, and <laughs> it but doesn't dock... have false 3D touchscreen. It's true, but how? I mean, we could we could argue. Yes, that that I'm not quite sure it's the best comp, but it's the closest one we have, so we yep. can mention that. The lower price tag thing is the part of this that really baffles me. It's like I could sort of see Apple making a like cheaper MacBook kind of thing, but not for less than nine ninety nine. I could see Apple saying like, "What's how do we build a modern Mac laptop for nine ninety nine and doing that?" But but for less than nine ninety nine, and the best I can come up with is, what if Apple? decided that they were going to create essentially like an iBook, something that was designed to be a cheap entry um, entry Mac laptop. It's uh, kind of like the Mac Mini actually might be a good analog too, because people don't buy desktop computers so much anymore. They buy laptops. And the Mac Mini was, when it came out, a 499 Mac. It was groundbreaking in that sense because it was so cheap. So could you do that for a laptop? And what would it be? It would probably be thicker and heavier. It might or might not have a retina screen. Probably not. Would it have USB-C? Maybe, but it might also have USB-A on it. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the different cost issues are. And there's also compatibility issues. Would they build something? Is it a little like the EMAC? Is it with the schools in mind because they want to keep selling into schools for that? And of course, every choice you make, you know, you have to realize if you're Apple that every $7.99 or $8.99 laptop that you sell is a $12.99 MacBook that you're not selling or a $12.99 uh, MacBook uh, Pro Escape. So uh, it's it's a weird it's a weird idea. Like. Um, and and it comes back to Apple feeling very strongly and unlike them, I would say, that they, or at least unlike them historically in the Mac, that they can't just kick the MacBook out, the MacBook Air out of their product line 
and wait for the MacBook to drop in price because it's not happening. Um, and so the, since since they can't bear to let go of the MacBook Air, at some point they have to do something with it. Uh, it's just it's 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 fascinating because it's like a product. I've read this as and I, I love I have an 11 inch Air. I have loved the MacBook Air since the very beginning, despite all of its flaws, and it's turned into a really amazing product. I get why people want it. It just has felt like Apple doesn't want it. It has been on uh, on on the chopping block for years now, and so this is fascinating that somebody at Apple might have might have said, "Look, this is ridiculous. Uh, why are we selling this old computer? Let's make a let's make a new great computer for nine ninety nine or eight ninety nine or whatever." But it's it's a it's a weird one. It's a weird story. There are multiple routes from this, and none of them make any sense. Yeah, based yep. upon like previous actions, because. Let's let's imagine that they drop the price of this and they bring it down to probably eight ninety nine, right? It's probably if you're going to take the price down from nine ninety nine, you make it eight ninety nine, right? It's probably what you do. I mean, in that in that world, like an eight hundred ninety nine dollar MacBook Air, and let's imagine in this scenario they're not doing anything to change it. Isn't that just really weird and kind of? just going to make the situation worse? Yeah, I I wonder if it's just leaning into it. It's like, you know what? People keep buying MacBook Air. They love the MacBook Air. Who are we to stand in the way of people loving one of our products? Let, how do we make it better while uh, keeping everything that they love about it? Which, at this point, is largely price and right. compatibility. Yeah, so that's what I mean. Do people actually so, love it, or are they just buying it because it's no, the cheapest one? I, I think people love it. I, I think um, as much... <laughs> Well, let's look at the the differences, right? I know a lot of people who don't notice or care about Retina displays, especially on computers, right? I, mm-hmm. I hear, I, I love my Retina iMac, and when I see a non-Retina Mac, I feel sad. But the fact is, a lot of people don't care. It's like we were saying about the Echo and audio. Like, a lot of people don't, it doesn't bother them that it's not a Retina display. And then USB-C, I could argue, is a liability and not an asset. Like, MagSafe is great. And USB-A, you don't have to have any dongles for all of the stuff that you already have, which is using USB-A. So those are, you know, so the two main advantages of the MacBook, and, oh, and it's thinner and lighter, right? And, and that's true. But like the MacBook Air is pretty thin and pretty light. So, you know, one of your advantages, Retina, nobody cares about, like, or some, some percentage of the population does not care about. And your other advantage, which is the modern connection stuff with USB-C, is something that's actually a liability, so I do think people love the MacBook Air. I think they've always loved it and they have not stopped loving it just because there are other computers. So then you have to be like, well, what do we do? Uh, if you're Apple, like, well, they won't stop buying this computer. <laughs> what do we do? At some point, we've run out of chips for it. How do we do this? And I think the most likely scenario is what you said, which is the, Ma- the, the iPhone SE, which is what if we don't ch- touch the industrial design? It's still going to look, it's still going to have the silver frame around the, around the screen. It's going to have that old keyboard, maybe, maybe all of those things stay the same. And all they really do is they take the little, you know, the little motherboard, and it's very tiny, that's on the inside, and they build a new one that is based on a more modern Intel chipset, which gets the more modern chips that are, that are faster and cooler. And they just keep it going and just keep it, keep it rolling. And it, it's not very Apple-like when we think of the Mac, but it's actually very Apple-like, as you said, when you think about the iPhone. It's, it, it actually does fit in there, which is we're keeping an old model around because that's the one that we can sell for cheaper. And people love it. 
so why not keep it around but it does seem like really like really they're just going to keep an old mac design that they've completely replaced um just keep it kicking around uh with with lesser technology that doesn't do the the big leaps in technology advancement but this is you know maybe that's part of the root of people's complaints about apple's current laptop lineup is uh, some of these things that apple thinks are are assets are either neutral or are liabilities like retina i love but if a certain percentage of the buying public just doesn't care then it's adding price for you know adding cost for not a lot of value USB-C is a complication that is definitely a liability even though we can argue about like the great things it does it's a liability if you've got a decade of USB cables and devices and things like that and you need dongles new dongles for everything so um, you know, this fits into that. Like that's part of the appeal of the MacBook Air is that it's just the laptop everybody expects instead of the laptop that Apple's trying to get you to want. But I think it's safe to assume that this was not the plan when the MacBook was introduced, right? Like oh, surely the MacBook not. was supposed to replace this product. Yeah, and I think that I, I wonder if that's part of the source of this because you're right the macbook when people say what's you know what about a replacement for the macbook air it's like it the macbook is the replacement for the MacBook it exists air, very yeah, clearly like it, they already made very, that product <laughs> very clearly so part of apple's calculation is probably do we want to reduce our margin on the macbook by cutting its price or would we rather just keep the margin where it is, protect the margin on our fancy, super light Retina ma- uh, laptop, and keep this old product around, where presumably the margins are also pretty good? So pr- in terms of profit margin, <laughs> this is the right answer. But you know, in terms of ma- Apple's track world track record, what has happened is that they kill they they keep the MacBook Air around for a year or two, maybe, and then it dies, and the MacBook goes down to nine ninety nine. But they they aren't willing to lose that $300 of profit margin on every sale of the MacBook. And they still sell the MacBook, and I think it sells pretty well, but they also still sell the Air that sells pretty well. So, like, I get that. I get the idea economically of saying, look, why would we do that when we can keep these two products and we have huge profit margins on both of them? And then, you know, and it's not like the existence of the MacBook Air is killing MacBook sales, because I don't think it is. I think it's selling pretty well, too. So maybe they look at it and say, why would we uh, upset this? Why would we change this dynamic? It actually benefits us to have an older, low-cost, low-ish cost Mac laptop in the line, just like it benefits Apple to have older, uh, cheaper iPhones in the line. It's, it's, uh, It's different, but, you know, there's precedent for it. So, but I I agree with you. I think perhaps that was not their original intent and that the MacBook Air sales were so strong that they just couldn't kill it. Does this feel like Apple? Does this like, <laughs> does this feel like a, what is the off use phrase, like an Apple thing to do, like to be boxed into a corner because of pricing and then just like, oh, screw it. Like let them eat cake. Like, is that like a... Does that feel like Apple? Like, I know the SE exists, but, like, the SE was at least a new product, right? They brought out a new product to fill a need when what they'll most likely do, I mean, really, what they will most likely do is just bring the price down of the current MacBook Air and keep selling it. 
Yeah, but the five. Uh, well, I, I mean, this rumor says they will do something else to it. Like there will be something to it. And and I, was the Mac SE a new product? It was basically a 5s with a new with a new hardware inside. I get I get right. that 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 but actually they, they makes it a new put product. Some but... new stuff in it, right? Like there was sure. some, there were new internals. There were new things that went inside of it. But I think this I think this rumor suggests that right that this isn't mm. just a price cut on the MacBook Air. I, Ming Chi Quo didn't really say much more than Apple is planning a more affordable 13-inch MacBook Air this year. Like there really right. isn't much more than just like it was like a single line it is a new MacBook Air with a lower price tag during the second quarter of 2018. That was right. basically well, the quote. I think the question then is, are they going to do something to the insides or are they literally just going to cut the price and keep selling it, which they could do. And that's a lot less interesting. That is that is a lot less Apple, I would say. I don't know. I think I think the real question is about Apple's assumption that when it comes up with new hardware features, which it needs to do because Apple has this sort of brand perception of being on the cutting edge. It needs and we were all clamoring for Retina MacBook Air, right? We were clamoring for it, um, that they need to do things that advance the category new technologies that are going to excite you you got to get the new macbook pro because it's got the touch bar on it and it's got a retina display and it's beautiful and it's thin and it's light and all those things and the challenge is when at least a segment of your audience says i don't really care about that like i I, like i'm good i'm okay and that is a challenge for a company that prides itself on kind of like driving new sales by being on the cutting edge of technology so that you've got to buy the new thing because it's got this awesome new tech feature in it. What happens if your customers say, we're actually very comfortable where we are and we don't need that new thing? And uh, the challenge there with Apple is if the new thing ends up being something that you don't know you want, but you find out you do want and you love it, then that's a success. That's the secret to Apple's success. But what happens when that doesn't happen? What happens when USB-C comes out and you're like, eh, dongles, I don't need that. Or what happens if a certain percentage of the audience looks at the retina display and says, $300 more? Eh, I don't need that. Then you end up kind of stuck when when some of your customer base does not want to come with you on that journey. Um, I, I'll, uh, a little footnote here. I mean, how many people do we know who have extolled the virtues of buying the previous generation MacBook Pro hardware? That's the same symptom, right? Which is there are people who don't think it's worth it to go on this journey with you to your new laptop with new features. And that's not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> the new features are supposed to drive sales of the new laptop. But when you've got some people saying, mm, I don't actually, I would rather just stay with this than, and your Apple who prides itself on pushing forward, you've got a decision to make about, do you serve them? Do you bifurcate? Do you have more products, some that are have the old vibe and some that are new, and let people come along at their own pace? Um, it's a it's a it's weird. It's a hard problem, and I think it's biting them now. Where some of this stuff, like seriously, people, I've had several people ask me about laptops um, in the last few weeks because their laptop, their Mac laptop's getting old, and I've had to do this whole like I really want to just say the MacBook is great. My daughter has one; it's wonderful. But instead, I'm like, well. I like the MacBook, but it's twelve ninety nine or whatever. It's it's you need you're gonna not just need to do that, but buy a bunch of adapters for your old stuff. It's got one port, so if you want to charge it and plug something in, you need another adapter for that. Like there's this whole litany of things that I have to say instead of saying, "Oh, just buy the MacBook." And instead, it's sort of like, "Well, maybe you just want another MacBook Air." I've said that to more than one person in the last two weeks, which is, I think, telling about where the MacBook Air is and why it's still popular. All right, let's put our money on the table here. 
right? Like, what is this going to be? Is it going to be a price drop? Is there going to be new features? Like, what do you think this will result in? Oh, boy. Um, I'm... uh... I'm going to say I could go either way. Like I'm just going to I'm just going to pick something to pick it. I'm going to say that they are going they're realizing that they're at the end of their uh life with the um the motherboard generation, the chipset generation that's in there. And so they're going to upgrade it to a new chipset and the outside's not going to change and it's literally just going to be a faster Intel processor on the inside. And I I think maybe even the ports don't change. Although you know, they could do that. But my guess is it'll be the least they can do. It'll still look the same. It'll still be not Retina. It'll still have the USB-A ports and Thunderbolt port. Um, you know, maybe they change the Thunderbolt part out to a USB-C port or something like that. Depends on what chipset they're using. Um, but that would be my guess, is that they're literally just going to replace it with a newer Intel chipset that lets them build the same product. I am going to say that I mostly agree with you. Um, but, like, I, I think that we'll probably, if we see anything, it will be an, uh, a, a processor change. But just for fun, I'm going to say just the price drop. I'm just going to go with that. Just take yeah. what they currently have, lop $100 off it, keep selling it. Yeah, well, um, and uh, somebody in the chat room while we were talking basically said, they seem to have these two choices, and those are our two choices. That's about it. David Schaub in the chat room said that. I think that's it. I think the most likely scenarios are either it's just it's literally just a price drop. That 13-inch MacBook Air is now $799 because they got to make so much profit on each one of those because that's just like old tech. The, 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 I, it, it's at the point now where, to my point, like I'm more concerned that they don't make those some of those parts anymore. Like... Are there enough of those displays to fulfill the demand or are people winding up the manufacturer of those displays because everyone wants higher resolution displays or other parts that are used in making that product? That becomes a concern, which is why I think they might rev the um, the motherboard and use a new chipset so that they can use some stuff that's still in in uh, in production without hurting their margins very much. Um, but I think I think those are the options, right? Like um because I don't see them designing a whole new laptop and putting all of that work in just to sell it for seven ninety nine or something. That seems seems like they would do an iPhone SE thing and then just like do some internal changes, not do a product redesign on the outside and just keep selling it. All right, this episode is brought to you by Clean My Mac from MacPaw. So we're talking about the Mac. Well, it's actually really good for maintenance and just to make sure you've got all the space you need to kind of keep an eye on what's on your Macintosh. And Clean My Mac can help you with this. They can help speed up the performance of Mac OS for you with all of their maintenance stuff. It can remove temporary items and optimize system libraries for you so your Mac can run more smoothly and just feel better to use. On average, Clean My Mac can remove up to 64 gigabytes of junk on a typical Mac. It could be anything from system pro- system stuff, just like cruft that you don't want, pieces of old applications, outdated broken items, and so much more. Basically, just a bunch of stuff you don't need anymore that could be slowing your Mac down. Like, I find stuff like these weird iOS backups from that time that I did a backup six months ago because I was updating my phone, and it's like an ungodly amount 
of size. This is the sort of stuff that Clean My Mac can help you find. Make your Mac as good as new with Clean My Mac 3. Show your Mac a little bit of love. Head over now to macpaw.com slash upgrade 2018. So that's M-A-C-P-A-W.com slash upgrade 2018. And you will get 20% off. That is macpaw.com slash upgrade 2018 for a great 20% off Clean My Mac 3. Our thanks to MacPaw for their support of this show and Ask Upgrade. First question comes from Brock. Brock asks, I want to get a HomePod, but the best places I have for it are either on top of a bookshelf or one of the shelves on that bookshelf. Will it being high up or recessed in a shelf negatively affect the sound output? Jason, do you know about this? I don't know. I need to try this. I've thought about it. Um, I have put one high up. And it was okay. I mean, the idea here is that the HomePod is listening to you. It knows that if it knows that the sound environment that it's in, because it's listening to the microphone, so it would probably be okay. Atop of a bookshelf, I don't think it's going to be a problem. I think that that's um, that's a perfectly fine place for it. Although, as I pointed out, you won't be able to see it activate or touch it to control it. You know, the volume or play pause or anything like that. But that worked okay. Um, completely surrounded in like a bookshelf or something with uh, stuff above and be- right behind and all of that, it's probably not going to sound as good, but it will adjust itself automatically. Chris asks, I bought a Samsung 4K monitor, but now my max brightness up and down keys on my keyboard don't do anything. Are there any third-party utilities that can make a max keyboard brightness keys adjust a Samsung monitor's brightness? I don't think so, right? Like I, I think that these are like independent things or am i wrong uh i was hoping you had an answer since you Mm. put this question in here because i haven't the faintest idea i've never used a samsung monitor i don't know anything about that um i used to have a third party i used to have a dell monitor and i think i had to adjust the brightness with the uh with the little buttons on the Mm -hmm. monitor so i used to use a samsung tv at one point with a mac mini and I had to use the whole adjustment on the thing. So the reason I put this in is I was hoping you might have an answer. Or what I sometimes do is we put these questions in there to see if anybody out there in the world knows of a way to do this. I don't think it's possible. But if it is, I would love to hear about it. Logan has asked, what is the difference between an i5 and an i7 and an iMac or a Mac Pro? I'm looking into getting a Mac for school this fall. And trying to decide which processor to get. My biggest priority is future-proofing, followed closely by budget. Um, i7, I think i7 has virtual uh, processor cores that the i5 doesn't have. The i7 is a faster, you know, more efficient class of processor. Although I think a lot of the i7s are lower clock speed when they're um, single-threaded and then... or than the i5 it's i7 is a better processor but you may not really get all the benefit if you're not doing a lot of multi-core multi-threaded stuff and if you don't know what that is you're probably not doing it um but it's that that's i'm trying to simplify and i think my confusion is that some of those features have come into the i5 at one point which it makes me confusing too i i we, you know details of intel chip architectures maybe not the best thing that this podcast does. I mean, my feeling would be considering that this is a pro- like a, a computer for school so it's going to last you a couple of years, you know, unless you're doing something that is specifically very intensive, 
I would just say go for go for the budget and then use the money you save on something like RAM or storage. I think that you'll probably be fine on an i5. Yeah, the the number of things that you if you get an iMac, like put that money toward Fusion Drive or even better yet SSD rather than a processor. Like that's gonna that's gonna save you more. Um, you'll feel you, that you, more every day. Yeah. yeah. Jake asked, do you think the 2018 iPhone 10 will have camera hardware parity to the iPhone 10 Plus that's been rumored? Huh. That's a good one. Um, basically, the question here is, does Apple have something more up its sleeve in terms of having a new uh, camera module that is so awesome on the 10 Plus um, because it's using that extra space? Um, my, if I had to bet, I would say that they'll be the same. What do you think, Mike? I don't think they will be. They're going to do something magical and special for the Plus Club? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that we're going to go back to the world of Apple trying to show some real differences between those two phones. And one of the really easy ways to do that is to have differences in the camera because it's something that people really care about. So like if you want to push people towards the expensive phone, give it some difference in the camera that the extra space can afford, right? Because you've got more space because the phone's bigger, which is, I'm assuming, the exact reasoning behind the dual lens in the Plus and why historically the Plus has always had a better camera, right? Like I don't know if it's the case with the 8, right? But like I think throughout all of the time that the plus existed there was always something that the plus camera did that the non-plus camera didn't do right whether it was like optical image stabilization and all that kind of stuff like there's always been advancements and i think that there will be advancements again that the the regular phone won't have all right i mean my i i think that's possible my gut feeling is just that apple did a lot of work to get the iphone 10 camera to be great and to do all the things that the plus cameras did and since they've done that i think it would be easy for them to just progress that on both devices rather than do a second thing but you you could be right you it, it is a differentiator other than size to have the camera to use some of that space to uh you know to do more with cameras Dave asks, the smart keyboard that I got with my 9.7-inch iPad Pro is limping along now. I don't want to replace it as I'm thinking about upgrading to a new 10.5 whenever that might come. Any suggestions for a keyboard that will work for now isn't too clunky and something I can just throw in my backpack. Um, I figured that an Apple Magic keyboard with the Studio Newt Canopy is probably a pretty good option for this. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great option because it, it'll also give you a uh, a stand for your iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, the other uh, product that I will mention is the one of the Logitech uh, Bluetooth, like the Easy Switch, which is sort of my backup keyboard for everything. And that's nice because it'll pair with multiple Bluetooth devices and you can switch among them. So you can be like on your Mac and then switch and now it works with your iPad and now you switch oh, that is cool. with some yeah. other device, which is nice. Um, it And there are you know plenty of 
generic Bluetooth keyboards out there. The nice thing about the Canopy from Studio Neat is that it's exactly the size of the Magic Keyboard. So if you if you can get a Magic Keyboard or you have a Magic Keyboard that came with a Mac, you put it in the Canopy, it kind of sticks in and it snaps up into a carrying case. But when you get to your destination, you can unfold it and it will it will be a stand to hold your, your iPad. And that will work with uh, the 9.7 and the 10.5 just the same. Yeah, and the reason that I think we're both going down the route of not recommending a keyboard case is because you're looking to upgrade. So you may as well get a keyboard that you could use for other things once you upgrade your iPad Pro. Because like, if you want a case, right, the, the, the Logitech Create for the 9.7 is just a product that I couldn't right. say nicer things about, right? Like I absolutely loved right. that um, and was just so sad that they ruined it. <laughs> for, but but for he's got future. but he's got he wants a keyboard that will work with both. So something exactly. like the canopy. The nice thing about that is that not only does the keyboard work with both, but the stand will work with both. Mm-hmm. And so that that's not a bad option if you like the uh, if you like the Apple Magic Keyboard, which is a very nice keyboard. Yep. So that, that's that's kind of the and, route that you want to go down. And you may have one. Yeah. You, uh, this is another thing about the canopy is you probably already have a Magic Keyboard, right? You may use it for your Mac currently, so that. You know, could make it a little bit tricky, but you probably have one. <laughs> I'm expecting. Who knows? But I'm yeah. guessing you might. Um, Rob asks, "What is your favorite iPhone gimbal, Jason? <laughs> What's the one you had me buy? The DJI Osmo is the one that yeah. I made you buy, uh, and it is my Osmo pick. Mobile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's my favorite in that it is the one that I have, and I have not tried any others, so I have no buying advice to give you. But I use that one, and Mike." told me about it and uh i like it they have they have new ones now so like there's a new one um which is cheaper i think the osmo mobile 2 um which is an updated version it's it's it is i think better and cheaper so it's worth looking at but they're the the dji products dji is an incredible company uh that does really really interesting things uh what i like they do, they're known for their drones mostly right they make the mavic and the spark and the phantom and i'm very interested in the drone technology even though i don't really have a lot of use for it myself but i find it just to be really interesting and i think it was uh, casey neistat recently said something that i thought was really really cool that like at this point dji are just competing with themselves they're so far ahead of everybody else that like in drone tech no one's even close to them and they just keep releasing new drones that compete with their other drones and that's kind of just the whole the whole drone market right now is kind of just swept up in DJI. Really, really interesting company. All right, and finally today, Rajiv asks, do you think the iPads will eventually get wireless charging like the iPhones have? <sighs> eventually, like on an infinite timescale, maybe, but I think that there's much less need for it because first off, it's they're huge. And you have to make a little uh, uh, contact area for the wireless charging to happen. And it's a much larger thing. So now you're trying to get it positioned exactly right and all of that. Um, So I think eventually, maybe. But I can't see it happening anytime soon. I don't think it's going to happen. Like with the technology we currently have. Like what what, the Qi charging that exists right now. I don't see a benefit. Like I just don't, it's like also it will take forever. <laughs> exactly. Do I think that MacBooks are gonna get Qi charging? No, I don't. 
right? And so it's like the same thing. Because so you'd be taking yeah. this big thing and putting it down on it. You may as well just plug it in. Like it, the, I don't think the convenience aspect is there in the same way. Um, so I mean, you know, it'd be cool because I I have found myself recently needing to charge my iPad Pro up in the day. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. Maybe it's just age, or I've got some something weird happening. But I'm not on any betas or anything. But my battery life seems to be taking a bit of a dive. Um, so it would be nice to have something that could charge it more easily, but I just don't think that Qi in its current form would really give me what I'm looking for. All right, so thank you so much to everybody that sent in their Ask Upgrade questions. You can send us uh, these questions in by just tweeting out into the world with the hashtag Ask Upgrade, and we'll pick them up for a future episode. So any technology-based questions you would like our advice on, you can send them in with the hashtag Ask Upgrade, and we will get to them. But now it is time for us to discuss Aliens. But before we do that, let me take our final break of this week's show and thank Linode for their support. With Linode, you will have access to a suite of powerful hosting options with prices starting at just $5 a month. And you'll be up and running with your own virtual server in the Linode cloud in just under a minute. Linode has hundreds of thousands of customers, many, 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 many people who are all serviced by their friendly 24-7 support team. You can email Linode, you can call them, or even chat over IRC in the Linode community. They know how important it is for you to get the information and help that you want in the way that you want. So they have a bunch of different options, including a suite of amazing guides and support documentation to give you a reference guide whenever you need it. Linode's intuitive control panel will allow you to deploy, boot, resize, snapshot, and clone your virtual servers in just a few clicks. And they, of course, feature two-factor authentication to help help keep your information private. Linode has fantastic pricing options available to you. They have plans starting at one gigabyte of RAM for just $5 a month, all the way up to high memory plans that start at 16 gigabytes of RAM. As a listener of this show, if you sign up at linode.com slash upgrade, you'll be supporting us and also getting yourself $20 towards any Linode plan. And if you sign up for the one gigabyte of RAM plan, that is four months for free. With a seven-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose. Go now to linode.com upgrade where you can learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit, or use the promo code UPGRADE2018 at checkout. I thank the Linode for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. All right, so it is at this time, as always, Jason, where I... Pick up my other notebook that I have here where I was taking uh-huh. notes earlier today when I watched Aliens. I really, is, whilst it is a, a, a very strange thing to do in the middle of the afternoon to watch a movie, um, I do really like watching these before we record because it means sure. that it's the most fresh in my mind. But there is that weird thing where like, I'm drawing the blinds at 11 a.m. to sit down and watch a movie <laughs> from 1986. It is very uh-huh. strange, and like, it is one of those things where it's like, what is, what is this life I lead uh, in which I'm mm-hmm. doing this? But um, this is the life that I have, and uh, I will thank all of our listeners for allowing me to watch Aliens in the middle of the afternoon as part of my job. Um, <laughs> But here we are. So uh, I will do what I always do. I will give my thoughts before and then my thoughts after, and then we can jump into breaking down some of the parts of the movie. Does that work? Sure. So I was very nervous of this movie because <laughs> I was very upset. Uh, the first with watching Alien, uh, it, it made me very uneasy. Um, so I was mm-hmm. nervous of that. And you had told me, uh, you you would try to console me and feel better that this is more of an action movie uh, where... 
Alien is definitely more of a thriller horror movie, and yes. Aliens is more of an, an action movie, um, and it's kind of replicated uh, in the director, right? So this, so we had Ridley Scott for the first one, and he's he's good at making really really tense environments. And we have James Cameron for Aliens, um, so it's you know James Cameron is more of a big action guy, right? Like that's what he's right. more known for, big big action movies with and, impressive and visuals. In many ways in many ways this is the movie that made him a bankable action director. Terminator. Oh, really? The original Terminator, which was low budget, which we watched, was like the oh, there might be something to this guy. He looks really interesting. And on the back of the Terminator, he was given Aliens. And then Aliens was a uh, a big hit and this is this is the really the thing that propelled him to being like no no we can he can make big budget action movies like uh like terminator 2 for example and then on and on and on but um this is the one that he that really like made his name as a big budget big grossing uh action movie director the budget felt huge for this movie like so like IMDb tells me that the budget was eighteen point five million dollars is the estimation for the budget. And it feels it felt like a really big budget movie. That like a lot of the practical effects stuff, like the tanks and kind of the environments that they're in, um, it all felt really well done. And I liked that. I think my favorite thing about this movie is the way everything looked. Everything looked really real, real, you know, because it was practical stuff. And but it also looked convincing, um, and I I thought that was really cool. I, I liked I liked the overall look of this movie, um, in a way that kind of like Alien, Alien was cool, but it was all really contained, you know, within a within right. a relatively small environment. And this movie had way bigger environments and way bigger props and spaceships. And, you know, there's, there was a lot more going on in this. I was struck in watching it this time because I've only seen Aliens once. And that was a long time ago on VHS, on a little TV. So I got to see a lot more of the movie this time. And one of the things that struck me, having seen Alien a bunch of times, is I really appreciate how this movie takes its cues from the world that alien built in terms of what you know the 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 future technology looks like on the ship and and like in the in the car and the tank and in the uh in the the buildings on the ground like i felt like it was of a kind and then when it makes reference to the monsters and their life cycle the aliens and what they do like that's all uh, you know, they're honoring that that concept. Like it, it's it's a bigger canvas on in every dimension, <laughs> but like it does sort of feel like they took that little tiny part that we saw in Alien and said that's the starting point, and now we're going to expand on it rather than it feeling if this makes any sense, it feeling like it's a totally different world. Like I, you know, they expanded on it without making you feel like this is not the same world as the original Alien. Joe Steele in the chat room has informed uh, us that the the tank is a radio controlled car, but nevertheless, um, even though it's not, I don't think I thought it was life's. I don't know, but like I, these these things still carry with them. An there are some shots budget. that made me. Be- there are some shots that made me believe that there was both a model tank and a 
life scale tank yeah. for some shots and then they cut between them and I was like now is this the tiny tank or is this the full size tank but I don't know so yeah they, they, they clearly had something that was part of the set right but what was driving around was not this big thing but but nevertheless like the way this film looks comes with a bigger budget right like it comes with needing to have a bigger budget I think they had a bigger cost um, and I would say overall this is a really really good movie I I can see that in watching it. I just don't think it's my movie. Mm. I don't think this is a thing for me. Like, I didn't dislike it. I wasn't bored of it. But there are just parts of it that, like... I just flat out don't like the aliens. Like, I, 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 know, I'm, <laughs> I know I'm supposed to not like them. But well, lots I, of them die in this one, so that's, that's good. That's true. But, like, I, I really just don't... I really don't like them, and it makes me not like the movie as much. Uh, so, like, I don't have particular problems with this movie. Like, I don't have things that, like, you tend to frustrate me. You know, like, typically plot things frustrate me, right? Like, weird anomalies in the plot or, like, peculiar decisions that somebody would make, right? That's the sort of stuff that usually annoys me about movies. And this didn't really have that. For me, like there wasn't anything where I was like, "Well, somebody wouldn't do that." I just, I think, I just think I like, I dislike the aliens so much; they creep me out so much that it it, mm. it pulls me out of enjoying the movie. Uh, they are I, they are creepy, and this has the new queen at the end, who's like uh, extra creepy. They're really, I, she, it makes she me gets in an elevator. <laughs> it is. I really wished that there was just me. I want to just see her press the buttons, you know, like. I want to see that happening because if you're going to put it in the elevator, make me watch the alien in the elevator. What's the alien doing? Is it like listening I, to, to the to little elevator music that's going on? Yeah. Do, 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 do. yeah, exactly right. And then it's just waiting. Dump, 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 dump. Somebody gets in on the third floor. Says, no, no, I'll take the next one. <laughs> you got this one. Well, going up. You've got all the space taken care of in this one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say, when I, when I bought this on iTunes and I was given the opportunity, the opportunity, I was given the option to either play the original or the 1990 special edition and I chose right. the original. Yeah, me too. Okay. I don't know what the difference is, but like... I So when I watched this the one time, I watched the special edition and my memory of it is that it was overwhelming. And that I thought this time I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to choose the least, uh, the the shorter runtime just because yeah, the mean, last time I watched this movie, I felt like it was a sensory assault and that I want to <laughs> like, I don't need more of that. So let's just take the original and go with that. This is a long movie. It's like a two and a half hour long movie, right? Like, which I don't know that for movies that we tend to watch for this segment, this is a lo- this is on the long it's, side. It's 2 2 17 the original, I think. 2 right. 2 hours 17 minutes. But it's it's it definitely is I, I I can put it in context for you a little bit. Like this first off this was a huge hit. Um yeah. it was it's remarkable in the sense that you can see how clever it is to take the original concept and like I said, honor it and yet also expand it. So it, it, I mean, because you can imagine what the elevator pitch is. So standing, you know, James Cameron standing next the to the alien elevator pitch in the <laughs> elevator uh, saying, OK, imagine that they go back to that planet 50 years later uh, and all of those eggs hatched. Like, oh, my God, you mean there was one alien for that whole movie and now you're going to have like 50 or 100 aliens um, 
Well, yeah, that's exactly it. But we're going to have a bunch of space marines with machine guns and flamethrowers, and they're going to fight it out, and it's going to be like a war with the aliens. Um, that's what this movie is like. That that's it. It is. It is. What if we took the the claustrophobic uh, spaceship, the Nostromo, and uh, a group of four people and one alien, and instead we made it a semi-claustrophobic, uh, you know, house housing center down on a planet but had a whole battalion of space Marines and dozens of aliens and they blow stuff up and shoot and, and get eaten by aliens and all that stuff happens. Like that's what this movie is. And, and to pivot from the one genre to the other, it's very clever. It's very well done. Um, in looking back at it, the, um, I think the issue that I have with it, and and this this may be going into how you feel about it, is this is a this is a really early example of a what we think of now as a modern like summer action movie. This is an early example of like movies that they make a dozen of now, which is special effects, science fiction, um, lots of explosions lots of gunfire kind of movie. Like we get these all the time now. And as a result, I actually think I, I couldn't believe when I was watching this movie that I thought this was an overwhelming, uh, intense experience to watch it. Yeah. Because I didn't feel that way. I felt like it was a nice little, I was like, Oh, it's so cute. It's a nice little action movie. It doesn't have like the plot isn't overstuffed where like there are eight twists to get to the end. Like it's, it's really linear. It's very simple. Um, It's, it's, there aren't too many characters. It, it just flows kind of naturally. It's got the one twist at the end. That's the same as in the other one. And that's fine. Whatever. Um, But it's like, it, it was more impressive at the time. I would say. And it's so influential, like so many of these old movies you watch and you're like, oh, it doesn't seem, I don't see what the big deal is. There are lots of movies like this. And you have to say, yeah, but this is the first one or one of the first ones that did it. And I I do think it's a template and it led to Terminator 2, which I think really is like the prototypical summer science fiction action blockbuster that, that really set this on a trajectory to where every movie is like that. I mean, I get like Star Wars, true, it's true, but like... Star Wars feels a little different. This is the with more explosions and gunfire and and personal damage and stuff than you yeah. maybe get in in a, oh, a gentler oh. Star Wars kind of movie. This was a rated R. So what Terminator Two has that Aliens doesn't is like an action figure superhero, right? Like the Terminator yeah, yeah. is like a sellable action figure cartoon character, right? Where like Aliens doesn't have that. It's real human beings dealing with this. Yeah. Right, and I think that that's one of the big differences. And of course, Sigourney Weaver at the center of it doing an amazing job. Um, this is right after she was in Ghostbusters. Um, an amazing job being being Ripley again. And there's a great moment where the lieutenant gets like bumped on the head or something, and uh, he's a jerk anyway. And then she's just in charge at that point. And by the time he wakes up, it's like, sorry, dude, she's in charge now. Yeah, she's <laughs> taking over. That's why she's there. That that it's it's really good. She has the she has the she finds the little girl Newt, uh, who's the only survivor. Um, she other than the one, ones who are like webbed up and say kill me and they're incubating 
host, but she's the one like undoctored survivor. And so she's got there's there's like a mother daughter kind of relationship that's going on while she's got her flamethrower and her gun. Um, but she's also the- I loved that part at the end when she duct tapes the two guns together. It's like so extra. I love it. I just loved it. <laughs> Is that, what, is that the best way to do this? <laughs> and it's a, it's a fun collection of characters. You know, you get your collection of Marines and you know they're all going to probably die by the end, but you get to kind of get to know them a little bit. And then so you feel something when they're ambushed initially and then... Uh, you know, over time, there more of more of them are are gradually killed. There's a I like that there is again something I didn't really understand when I watched it the first time. That it's very clear this time is how um Lance Henriksen, who is who is a uh, bishop, the the android, like the android is the bad guy in the first movie in Alien, and here she doesn't trust him because he's an android, and she's like stay away, and he ends up yep. being completely honorable and saves the day in the end, which I think is really cool. Like that's a great. Uh, and it's Paul Reiser, the jo- your jovial company representative, who is the rat in all of this, not the android. Yeah, the the difference, I guess, in this movie is that like the human is the real villain, right? Where like in the previous one, it was a robot, but it's like it's the human who's the villain this yeah. time. Yeah, well, because the company is the is the villain. Yeah. The, the text of of both these movies, a little less in this one, but it's still very clear, is that it's the corporation the Whalen yutani Corporation, they are the villains because they don't care about people. They just want to research this alien stuff like, and use it as a weapon. That's the whole reason, Paul. There, there is that moment where they're like, it's a classic moment. It's one of the qu- most quotable lines. It's not the most quotable, but one of the most quotable lines from this movie is, I say, we take off, nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. <laughs> and that would have been a, and Paul Reiser's like, no, 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 we can't do that because we, it's important. And it's like, no, no, that's the right answer here. Take off, nuke the site from orbit, end of movie. But of course that doesn't happen. By the way, the most, I don't know if you know this, the most quotable line from this movie is Bill Paxton who says, game over, man, game over. That's, I hate that's the one Bill that everybody, everybody does. Movie. <laughs> well, I mean, he's a whining uh, guy, he, he freaking out, guy. He's he, it's kind of awful, but there is that moment where he freaks out and he's like, when they lose the when they lose the the one flying thing that came down from the spaceship, and he just starts freaking out and he's like, game over, man, game over. I like that he's like super panicky guy, and they're like, calm down. But yeah, you're not supposed to like him. He's a panicky jerk. I love all of the like 1980s view of the future. I love this stuff. Oh, God, yeah. Right, so yep. like there's that meeting at the beginning and everyone's <laughs> everyone's smoking and using uh-huh. pen and paper. <laughs> it's like everybody's <laughs> so everybody's smoking indoors, they're using yep. pen and paper and there's a line about how a spaceship costs 14 million dollars. And I just cackled. I was like, this is the most 80s thing ever. Like, million dollar spaceship and the smoking indoors and the pen and paper. It's just hilarious. Like, yep. yeah, this is this is the things that you don't bother to imagine what it would be like in the uh, in the actual future. Just like, yeah, with, it's a meeting. There's some, you know, computer screens on the walls. There's also a moment I, that you probably noticed where they're looking at a map and it's on a screen which which uh looks really cool. It's like a flat screen but it's down. It's 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 on the table. It's like a table mm-hmm. screen. It's got the map of the complex in it and they want to like move around on it and so they have to do like 
computer things to move the map. And I'm like, no, 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 you just reach out and pinch. <laughs> I, I just love watching it. this stuff. Like, I don't think that there is a specific <laughs> problem that people from the 80s have no imagination, right? Because I imagine that, like, in 30 years' time, our the stuff that we're doing in future movies will look just as ridiculous. Like, oh, they didn't Absolutely. know you could just imagine it, right? Like, or like whatever, you know, like whatever it ends up being. But like, it's it's just always funny to be like, what did people think that like? I mean, how far in the future is this even set? Because like, it's fifty seven years after the first one. Yeah, I don't know. It's an unstated, uh, unstated, far off future. You know, a couple hundred years probably. Um, and, and it's, yeah, the, the, what gets me is that mixture, which is like, okay, they've got a flat screen on a table with a readout on it. That's like a live map. And, and like, actually I think that they did really well that I liked is that, that all the soldiers have cameras and they've got like a control center where they can see the video from all mm-hmm. the soldiers. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that's I like, good job. That's you, 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 I think you kind of nailed it. That's a really good vision of like future uh, soldiers and, and tech. Um, and they've got the control center, but they've got that screen with the map and it's a, and it's like a, a flat plane of glass. It doesn't look like a CRT, I think. Um, and I thought, wow, that looks really good, but it looks so good that I expected them to, to touch it like an iPad. And yeah, they don't because that's that part that conception either that conception didn't get to them or the other thing is like how much money and time do we want to spend having the actors put their fingers on the glass and miming that you know tracking that perfectly with our computer it's like it's not worth it let's just not let's just not do that some of sometimes it might not be a, a lack of vision it's just a lack of the budget to realize other parts of the future and that's that's true it's less true now where we've got amazing uh, VFX to do to rewrite almost everything you see on screen if you've got enough money again, but it's a different kind of uh, thing than it was back in the day where they had to do a lot of stuff, you know, practically and just stay inside the budget. I also really liked the the exosuits, the the loaders. That's that's really yeah. really cool. Yeah, and James Cameron liked them too because he brought them back in Avatar. <laughs> Oh, yeah. But uh, but but yeah, right. Where it's people in exosuits, but uh, that's that's a nice use of the. It seemed extraneous at the time, where she's like, "Yeah, I can load things. I worked at the loading docks in a mentioned in a previous scene. I will move something around, and it shows her character wise makes sense. She's earning a little more respect from these um, these marines who have no respect for her as this civilian who's been asked to tag along with them who they don't know. But of course, it pays off at the end where. The door opens and she's in the exosuit and she's gonna in a, punch in a, in alien. a really awkward drawn out fight scene. Like yeah, when it goes nothing's on too long. Really happening? Like there's a tail there whipping are... and she's kind of holding the alien's head yeah. a bunch, right? But like there, there are great really... mo- there's some great moments where she grapples and the alien's face is near her and you know the alien opens its mouth and yep. that other like little sub mouth comes out and tries to snap at her and you're like ah right that was so great. But yeah, uh, um, by modern standards, that is a really slow sequence where there's just sort of some grappling and it's not nearly as I think tense as uh, that they wanted it to be maybe mm-hmm. or at least as we read it today but again back in the day it was a that was a that was a big a big turn I thought that the fashion decision to kind of like upturn the top of the collar and lapel on suit jackets very strange <laughs> this like look really weird it's like oh in the future this is how we wear our suit jackets it was very 
which is a very very yeah. strange i mean decision. it's like back to the future too where yep. it's like uh, okay i guess it's just like let's just do wacky things and we'll say that's future oh i future, enjoyed uh, the, uh, the uh, back to the future 2 escape scene at the end of the movie where like sh- you know every, oh, the whole building's falling down and there's no spaceship anymore and the spaceship just appears from behind <laughs> from behind yeah it and he says oh i had it. to take <laughs> off it was it was getting too unstable i just had to take off cuz you know they're preparing to die there uh-huh. and he's like no 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 i just was rather than hovering over the platform i decided to go somewhere where you couldn't see me and just come back at the opportune time but i'm back now so it's, is the, is I, this- I, the guy who I played Corporal it. Hicks, is his, his name is Michael. How do you say his surname? Is it Bean? Bean. Michael Bean. Bean. So uh, he was in Terminator too, right? Terminator also. Uh, yes. Well, that was interesting. Clearly, clearly Cameron likes him. Well, he's, so he's the, he's the uh, guy from the future who's sent back in time. Yep. Um, and fathers John Connor in the Terminator and then dies and it's sad. They had the one night together and that's all. And then the really awkward one night. Um, and he's he's the abyss. He's actually the bad guy. If a bad guy, there could be a single bad guy in the abyss, which is huh. a James Cameron movie from 1989, which I love and I would recommend that we watch at some point. Okay. The downside of it is that the theatrical edition has a really dumb ending and the special edition has an amazing ending and is a much better movie. It's also very long. And the special edition hasn't been released in HD. I don't know why. I think because James Cameron's too busy with Avatar movies. And it really frustrates me because I love the Abyss special edition. It is amazing. And it kills me that it's not available in an HD version because it is great. Anyway, he's the bad guy in that. He's a Marine who kind of goes um, goes crazy in the high-pressure situation at the bottom of the seafloor and steals a nuclear bomb and is carrying it around for a while. So, so yeah, James Cameron really likes Michael Bean and uh, put him in a lot of stuff. So... You know, uh, there were lots of aliens, almost yep. almost too many aliens. Like there was just aliens constantly. Like th- that was one of the big differences, right? There was one alien, and it was like the tension of the one alien. But this time, there's just like how many? At some points, how many aliens can there be on screen? We'll have all the aliens. Um, but you know, it, it, it. I guess that's more of what this movie was going for, right? It's yeah. more action to be just shooting guns at like fifty aliens. If you've seen Alien and then you see that scene where suddenly you see them all kind of like coming off the walls and the ceiling, mm-hmm. it is a moment of like, oh God, no. <laughs> like they're, I did feel like Only that. one killed everybody, you know, but the cat and the one lady, <laughs> only one. And now there's just, they're everywhere. And uh, there's there's that uh, that scene where they're like, beep, 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 and it's coming closer. And, and it's like, but I don't see them. And they look up, and it's like, no, they're everywhere. Oh. Aliens falling from the ceiling. Yeah, and I, I, I think yeah. I, my moment, my moment is the alien and alien was so hard to kill, and they just plow through these aliens, and and you have to remind yourself, it's like, well, yeah, but these guys have like flamethrowers and giant machine guns, so which the crew of the Nostromo didn't really have, and also and so, like they know armed. these aliens exist now so like yes. they might know enough about them maybe possibly to know like these specific yeah. weapons will be good like this is what but nobody has is. nobody has formulated any acid proof armor yet I uh, which is a nice that I isn't that a nice complication yeah because that wasn't really explored and i mean we knew the the acid was dangerous right Right, it burned through the the hull, but it in... wasn't explored as like a if you shoot one of these and you're too close your skin's gonna melt 
Yeah, and I really totally like that. Splattered by acid. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. That's an uh, an added complication where it's like, yeah, it's fun to shoot these aliens, except if they splash on you, you will be horribly injured. Um, like uh, like uh, whoever, like like Hicks, Hicks, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, he they have to carry him out because he's been horribly burned by yeah. acid. I mean, there there are a couple of the Marines who were basically killed by it. Um, I yeah, don't yeah, in their names exactly, but like that, you know, one guy has his entire face melted off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. It's just the Hicks. Hicks survives. He gets splashed a little bit, but he's still horribly injured because we know that that's that monomolecular acid or whatever that just eats through many. And there is a callback to that, which I really like, where they find the hole that is mm-hmm. going all the way down and all the way up. And it's like, oh, yeah, we've seen this before. An alien. Mm-hmm. This is proof that these aliens are there. I really like the tension at the beginning when they come into that. I, that setup is so great. It's like we've landed. We're on an alien planet. We know there's probably aliens here, but we, we're, there are also people here. We've lost touch with this facility. We don't know what happened to the people. And they're like going through and there's like, I, I just, I love that whole segment. The fact that they op- go through the doors and like the stuff's pulled out of the ceiling and stuff. And it's like, what happened here? Like, it's a mystery at that point. Like, yeah, we're, like there's, there's we're a half, seeing half-eaten meals, right? Like, so, yeah. you know, it happened like all of a sudden. That kind of stuff yeah. is cool. I really like that. And then, you know, in the end we find out that they, it, it you know, they all... They all got killed, other than the the girl in the ventilation ducts. They all got killed. Uh, well, on that um, last thing that I wanted to mention was I really liked the actual beginning of this movie because it moves very quickly. Like you are not waiting around a bunch for like something to happen to Ripley. Like she is saved. You see that she gets back to health. You know she's having bad dreams, right? So it gets like kind of the fake out there. She presents her case. They say no, you're not going there. And then like jump cut. Right, like multiple Months years later. later, or however long it is, now yeah. they're going right, and I like that because I was expecting like, oh, here we go, like there's going to be a bunch of committee meetings, or like you know where she's like pleading her case, and then there's going to be this, and but they're like, nope, nope, you got to go, everyone's the, dead. <laughs> the only problem I have with those scenes is that I feel like she's, I mean, and I guess it's like, what did what did Ripley learn when she was on the Nostromo? But we know that the company was behind it all. And she mentions it at one point, but it's like, she is not nearly adversarial enough when she's in that meeting with the company. She could have been like, she should have been like, I know what you guys did. I know what, um, what the Android's job was. Um, we were sacrificed. Those people died because of you. Like I wanted her to be way more aggressive because she knows what happened. And that it was the, and I, I understand that the movie doesn't want to do that. Because the movie wants to like slow play that and then have the company guy, have Paul Reiser be totally like, you know, he's kind of squirrely, but then we find out that he's he's really bad. And it's like, oh, yeah, right. This corporation is terrible. But that's the one problem I had with it is that uh, Ripley should be aware all the time at how terrible the company is and be pushing back. And, you know, they can use their power to kick her out and disgrace her and all of that. But that scene played more like they were not believing her and she was kind of in good faith trying to explain what happened. When I felt like that's not, that's not how I picture that scene going. I picture that scene going that she knows full well what, what went on. She's aggressive about it. And they're, and they shut her down because they don't, first off, the, all those executives retired. It was 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And second, they've got plans and, and her plans don't interest them. Uh, and, and she's just going to get in their way. So I just, that, that's the frustration I had is she should have started out considering the corporation, the villain, 
And that might have made the dynamic between her and Paul Reiser when he finally has to try to recruit her because she knows something about this to be a little more adversarial. And for whatever reason, I think James Cameron just didn't want to go down that path because like, that's what Alien's all about is that all of those people got screwed by the company. Um, so anyway, that's that's a complaint I've got about the, the beginning of the movie. But you're right. It does move fast. Um, I I also want to complain about the the end of the movie. Can I do that? Yeah. Or after the end of the movie, which is... Um, and I'm going to spoil something for Alien 3, which you should not watch. So I'm going to spoil it now. <laughs> Don't watch it. I hate that movie. I'm going to spoil it now, though, which is um, the entire emotional arc of this movie is that Ripley saves Newt. Um, and this movie ends in victory with, yeah, Bishop's been ripped in two and has milk coming out of every surface. But he saves Newt from falling out of the airlock. And they go in to spend an animation and they've managed to save uh, Hicks, who's injured, and they all go into suspended animation, kind of like the end of Alien. And it's a victory. Um, she has taken care of Newt, who she promised to save. And they've got that relationship there. And, and it's great. Um, Alien 3 begins with the pod being found on a planet And they wake Sigourney Weaver up and say, oh, yeah, everybody else is dead. (laughs) So and and this is this is and and also, oh, and one of you had an alien face hugger on you, but we don't know which one, which is not supported in aliens at all. It's just made up. Um, And so. I and I I got to see that movie. I reviewed that movie for my college newspaper. Um. I think it is amazing that a franchise on the back of an incredibly successful movie would in its first scene extend two middle fingers at the entire fan base of the franchise and the entire mm-hmm. audience who is coming to see this movie and say, remember that emotional arc that was the entire point of that last movie? Uh, well, forget it. She's dead. Let's move on. Let's let's tell a movie now. And it's like it's one of the most inexplicable decisions, created decisions in a movie uh, and especially in a movie series I have ever seen that literally the alien franchise said, Hey, you know, Ripley's relationship with Newt, it didn't matter. She died on the way back to their planet. And now Ripley's in another thing with stuff that we're going to gaslight you and tell you happened in aliens, but it totally didn't happen in aliens. It's terrible. That's David Fincher's first feature film. Um, and uh, I believe David Fincher is on the record and saying, nobody hates that movie as much as he does. But, oh, wow. uh, it's a disaster. So I don't recommend, Mike, I don't recommend you watch any more Alien movies. Great. This is it. I'm happy about that because they they give me the heebie-jeebies. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Upgrade. If you want to find our show notes, go to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 183. You can find Jason's work at sixcolors.com and theincomparable.com. And we both host a variety of shows at Relay FM. You go to relay.fm slash shows to find more there. Thanks again to uh, MacPaw, Away, Squarespace, and Linode for their support of this week's episode. But most importantly, thank you for listening, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Jason Snell. <gasps> it was for that guy! That guy who hasn't been listening long enough to having heard it. Having heard it. I said it. There's always one. you got to listen through Mike at the movies to get to it. 